I'm Dakota. And I'm Matt. And I've got a movie for us to watch this week. What are we watching? We're watching E.T. the Extraterrestrial, one of Steven Spielberg's all-time greats. So, as we start off, I just want to make a uh, confession, Dakota. Go ahead. So there are two people in this world, right? People that have watched E.T. and people that have owned a copy of E.T. their entire life and never sat down and watched it. I was the second at one point. I was the second until about a month ago. I own this movie on DVD. I own this movie on Blu-ray. I own this movie on 4K. And every time I'm like, I'm going to sit down and watch it. It's one of the all-time greats. Everybody loves it. And for some reason, I just never did. Which is kind of the reason why I wanted to start this podcast in the first place. Right? Right. I wanted to kind of go through my backlog of movies and watch them. But I wanted to experience that with someone else. Right. And I'm glad you tagged me in for that because me, I am notorious for not watching a lot of movies. Movies take time. And sometimes it's stuff that I don't think about. I don't do it. And so this also kind of helps like introduce some self-care and really get passionate about something again. Mm -hmm. So going back to your first point, E.T. came out in 1982. It's an old ass movie. It's an old ass movie. Um... I was born in 91, for reference. Um, so, I was one of the people that I saw my parents have this on VHS. Mm-hmm. And I have vague memories of watching the movie, but I'm like seven, eight years old. I don't really remember much except E.T. phone home. Yep. And then you have all of these, like, pop references to this day because this movie is that iconic. So, I think this is a great stepping stone to get this podcast started. I think so, too. I think it's one of the most iconic movies that you can kind of start with that everybody can connect with just because at first glance it's a movie about an alien and that's really all you're getting but when you actually sit down and watch it it's a lot deeper than i was expecting because i was just watching it going in expecting to have another spielberg led movie where it's fun to watch it's enjoyable it's a family movie. Everybody, it's like a popcorn flake that anybody can go in and enjoy it. And then I started watching it, and I was sitting there with my dad at the time because my family is over for this. And we're watching it, and dad's shocked I'd never watched this movie. Like, absolutely shocked, especially with how many movies I do watch. Mm-hmm. Um, and we're sitting there, and I'm like, wow. Like, there's this whole subplot with Elliot having to deal with his parents splitting up and his dad just like pretty much abandoning his family for some younger woman and his mom having to go through all this turmoil of like trying to figure out like how to be a single mom, how to deal with the um, hijinks and the antics, but also like the emotions that her children are having Mm -hmm. because I mean, she has an older son, she has Elliot and then she has little Drew Barrymore. Gertie. Gertie. We love Gertie. Uh, we love Gertie. Uh, <laughs> but she's having to deal with, like, because each child is dealing with the father leaving mm-hmm. in different ways. And Elliot seems to be taking it, like, really hard. And the oldest son seems to be trying to take over that, like, parental figure almost, but doesn't really know how to do it. Mm-hmm. And then Gertie's just having fun. Gertie's just there. Gertie's having a great time. Um, and to tack on to the end of that there, 
about like these deeper meanings, you know, you have to, you get a lot of this is inferred throughout the movie. You don't really get like a direct, this is what happened. There's just references that go through it. And with my background, you being the movie buff, I'm a therapist. And so some of these themes are very interesting to me and how they are products of their time, products of the theory that was available then, and how it affects the overall movie and how it affects the overall viewer. Mm -hmm. So watching this at an older age versus like me with a very fuzzy memory, you take away a lot more. This movie is definitely rewatchable. Oh, 100%. Because the more times you watch it, the more things you pick up on. Mm -hmm. Like when I watched it the first time, I almost, almost immediately wanted to watch it again. Just because you start to pick up on more things like, we're talking about how Elliot's dealing with his father leaving. But it's almost not an exact mirror, but there is a little bit of a mirror there with E.T. having his entire family just abandon him on this planet that he has no, like, he's lost on a planet that he has no idea where he's at, what he's doing. He just came to pick up some flowers and then just got ditched. Mm-hmm. Which sucks. And I think that's, I don't know if that's exactly what Spielberg was trying to put across to the viewer but i want to think that he wanted to not bang you over the head with a pan be like hey here's all the symbolism that i have in this movie he wants to just let it be subtle and let the audience kind of figure it out on their own because spielberg's always been pretty good at letting the viewer get their own interpretation while also think about his movies without having to blatantly tell them right there's a lot of layers to it and that's why i go back to there's a lot of you have to infer a lot of the the meanings and i agree with you there was like a lot of mirroring but spielberg is a great storyteller Mm -hmm. he and the thing about a story is to leave it for interpretation everybody takes away something different i agree so you want to talk about kind of going through the scenes of the movie how we felt as we were watching the movie at each point of the movie and then kind of we can go from there and kind of talk about our favorite scenes because uh, there's one scene in particular that I really want to talk about. Yeah, absolutely. So the movie starts out this alien race. We don't really know what they are. We just know they're an alien race. And Spielberg doesn't blatantly tell us this off the bat, but they're an alien race of empaths. So they emotionally connect to each other, and then we find out they can emotionally connect to humans. But that's how they communicate. And I think it was really cool how he was like, their hearts are going to glow to show that they are empaths without telling you that they're empaths. Like, it's a blatant like, hey. Here I am. Here I am. And just to put on my therapeutic hat here, empathy is where you feel the emotions of someone else. They're sad, you feel their sadness. Mm-hmm. There's a big difference between sympathy and empathy. Mm-hmm. Sympathy, feeling sorry, understanding they're going through that emotion, and empathy is really sitting with that person and feeling it. Yeah. And so I really wanted to like point that out because that is one of those bigger one of the bigger symbols of the movie. Absolutely. And it gets more and more kind of into detail the further in the movie you get, especially with the ones that I want to talk about later on. But it immediately cuts to the family dynamic with Elliot, his mom, and his brothers 
playing in the kitchen, Dungeons and Dragons. Yup. Big note for me was, yo, D&D, which was really reflective of the time. D&D got really big in the 80s, and as a D&D player myself, I was super, super jacked to see that. Yeah. And Elliot's, like, really trying hard to be included with all his friends, but his brother's just, like, not having it. Mm-hmm. Um, which, I didn't like the brother off the bat, I'm going to be honest, but... He's one of those characters that grows on you the further in the story you get. Right. And you're kind of like, okay, this brother's really, like, harping on Elliot, calling him dumb, and making him feel stupid for, like, when Elliot comes back in with the pizza and accidentally drops the pizza because he sees E.T., he tries to tell his mom and his brothers and his brother's friends, like, hey, there is a creature outside. I don't know what it is. Please help. And they're like, it's just a coyote. And it's still like, no, that's even if it wasn't E.T., a coyote is still like, hey. Yeah. I'm like 11. (laughs) Right? You would think his mom would like, even if it was a coyote, coming face to face with a coyote as an 11-year-old would be like, please help. Yeah. But this is also the 80s where parenting was a little more hands-off. It was. And again... Also understanding that this is just an element of the story. Mm-hmm. We wouldn't have the rest of the movie if it was like, aha, alien. Mm-hmm. And then cue in credits. Exactly. And so we kind of continue through the story. E.T. comes back um, and Elliot kind of interacts with him again. Because Elliot sets out Reese's Pieces for uh, E.T. to kind of get lured back into the house. To be fair, that would also work on me. I mean, Reese's Pieces aren't as good as M&M's in my opinion, but they're pretty up there. If you like peanut butter, to my peanut butter allergic people, it's good. I'm sorry. (laughs) Yeah, which this may be a good time to do this. Uh, I brought an impromptu snack to the recording today. I laughed as soon as he took it out of the bag. I brought some Reese's Pieces, and I want to go on like a small like one-minute tangent of how difficult it was. To find Reese's Pieces. Also not sponsored. (laughs) Not sponsored. We have no sponsors because... We do this for fun. Yes. So I'm in Walmart and I'm walking around and I originally had saw some advertising for like Reese's Cups with Reese's Pieces in them. And I was like, oh, that sounds awesome. I've never had those. Those would be a good taste test. Because I've had Reese's Pieces before, but I've never had Reese's Cups with with Reese's Reese's Pieces. And if I'm not mistaken, like Reese's Cups, like that's the thing that company's known for mm-hmm. like so i'm walking around dakota when i tell you i find normal reese's cups mm-hmm. big reese's cups mm-hmm. thin reese's cups dark chocolate reese's cups white chocolate reese's cups reese's cups with reese's puffs in them puffs puffs not pieces puffs puffs reese's cups with pretzels in them which sounds awesome love me a good pretzel i find reese's cups with potato chips that is one where i raised an eyebrow i don't i don't know i hadn't tried it maybe it's good how am i finding all these different kinds of reese's paraphernalia but i cannot find reese's pieces we got there we did get there we finally got some and i brought some to the podcast and i haven't had reese's pieces in probably like a decade so this is uh not a first for me but like Almost a nostalgia trip. We're gonna go ahead and try them real quick and see. First time reaction. Some ASMR. Good crunch. 
immediately from off the bat from the candy coating and that creamy peanut butter. Okay, I get it now. I understand why UT came back. Like, I knew immediately. I was like, I would absolutely, I would absolutely be lured out as well. Poor guy didn't know he was getting into. Mm-mm. But, so, getting back to the movie. E.T. comes back. Elliot brings him into the house because they connect. And he's trying to hide it from his mom, hide it from everybody. And as we're progressing through the story, new characters get introduced to E.T. And we get reactions from almost every character of this alien creature that can stretch out his neck and he looks super weird. And for some reason, he's always looking like he's just drenched in sweat and goop. And one of the things I noticed while watching the movie, whenever you brought up that comment to me, was like, I think the goo in the slot, that wet, just wet texture, Mm -hmm. actually varies from like scene to scene to like different points in the movie. Oh, it does. So I'm like, are they like spraying this? Well, (laughs) for me, like off the bat, I was like, why is he so wet? Yeah. Like, I don't get that. Because as a first time viewer, I'm like, what is happening? I don't he, he I don't get it. He looks gooier than like what I remember at like seven, eight years he old. He looks like Jordan at the NBA Finals, just drenched in sweat. Yeah, it's gross. But then as you get further into the movie, you figure out like the further away he gets from his family, the more he like dries out. So it was like, it was a physical representation. One that went over my head. It went over a lot of people's head until like you kind of like, Put the pieces together. Which the is, Reese's pieces? No, not the Reese's <laughs> pieces. Just the pieces together mm-hmm. where Spielberg was like, show, don't tell. Right. And again, Spielberg is a storyteller. Mm-hmm. So we start getting interactions with each character being introduced to E.T. And everybody can agree, hands down, the best introduction of a character to E.T. is Gertie. Gertie. Because she just screams. She has, I think, too, like, again, from a therapist mindset, the most appropriate reaction. Elliot's all like, can I pet it? And older brother's like, what, like, like, what is going on? Mm -hmm. We have to super secret promise not to say anything. Tiny Gertie, which is probably four or five... I don't know. Probably somewhere around somewhere there. Somewhere in there. Elementary like, school age, like, for sure. just screams mm-hmm. multiple times. And I'm like, yeah, that that's exactly what I would do, too. And then the first thing she wants to do when she calms down is dress him up. Yeah. Four or five, like, and that just, again, shows, like, the resiliency of kids. hmm So, we kind of spend a lot of time with, okay, Elliot meets E.T. Then the little brother meets E.T. Then Gertie meets E.T. Now... The main cast has met the main character. Mm-hmm. Where do we go from here? We go to one of my favorite scenes. <laughs> E.T.'s left at home. Mom's at work. Everybody's at school. So E.T. just gets into a load of different like hijinks. He's walking around the house eating everything he can find, chugging beer. And what we don't really understand at this moment is E.T. has already made a emotional link with Elliot. Mm-hmm. So as he's like drinking beer and like eating all this food and watching TV, if he laughs, Elliot's going to laugh randomly in class. 
As he's drinking beer, Elliot's getting drunk in class. Mm -hmm. And it leads to just... I know there are a lot of iconic scenes in this movie. Oh, yeah. Like the bike scene over the moon when they're first flying. Iconic. The chase scene, iconic. I still firmly believe this is like, on first viewing, this is my favorite scene just because there's so much going on. And there's actually a lot of storytelling details in this scene where, again, show don't tell. He's, Spielberg is like showing you like, hey, there's a connection between these two. And you're going to try and figure out why there's a connection between these two. And you see it very slightly like before we get to this scene. But this is the, this is the scene that really cements it. Like, mm-hmm. oh yeah, these two, they're tight. Mm-hmm. And you get the scene where the frogs are getting dissected in class. Which, we were talking about this earlier. We never dissected frogs. Did anybody, like... 90s children, millennials, if you are out there, did you ever have to dissect a frog? Because I'm pretty sure 90s TV lied to me. Agreed. Because you see frog dissections in media, like... All the time. All the time. Like, this was like, you know, coming of age. Like, you become a teenager, you go into middle school, you gotta dissect the frog. Mm Mm-hmm. It's almost as ironclad as puberty, if media wanted to tell you. Like, dissecting a frog is part of your puberty. So weird. So weird. I wish it was that easy. Um. Uh, Um, So they're getting to the point where they're about to dissect the frog. And Elliot's starting to react really weird. um, Start to act drunk. And E.T.'s watching TV at home. And there's this young girl. I don't think we ever see this young girl ever again in the movie. No, but he totally makes eyes at her. He does. And she makes eyes at him a little bit. Yeah. And, like, just because he's E.T.'s watching a romantic movie, he's feeling those romantic feelings. Mm -hmm. So, immediately, like, I don't know why. I can't remember exactly why Elliot all of a sudden becomes, like, revolution! Release the frogs. Release the frogs. But he does. He, He convinces his entire class to release the frogs. And in that heat of the moment... He grabs the girl and just plants a big one on her. Just goes right for it. Consent is important, but also this is a product of its time. Fair enough. <laughs> but it was one of those scenes where I was like, the frogs, the crescendo of the music, like I just loved every part of the it. The shot of the shoes and the frogs just like mm-hmm. hopping to freedom. Mm-hmm. And I was like, you go little buddies. Yep. All the classmates opening up the windows and dumping the frogs out. And like, I was just like, free the frogs. Free the frogs. And the phone call later, because we do eventually come back, you know, Elliot comes home, reunite with E.T. and check on him, because he's been worried about him through the day. And you even hear, like, mom on the phone just off camera, like, I'm not paying for frogs. (laughs) And I'm like, yeah, I won't pay for the frogs either. Yeah, that's what I love about Spielberg and the screenwriters he works with, because for the most part, he likes to work on the screenwriting process. Not a lot of directors do. But he does, and he likes to add those little, like... Embellishments. Embellishments, but they're, like, they're not the focus of the scene. But it adds context. It adds a little bit of flavor. It adds realism to it. Yeah. Because the mom would be reacting like, I don't care if he released frogs. I'm not paying for them. Are you crazy? And this is uncharacteristic of her kid. Mm Mm-hmm. And in her head, she's like... Okay, this separation from my husband is really getting to Elliot. 
which it is. But that's it's to all of the children, yeah, but Elliot being the focus. Yeah, and it's at this moment not that. Mm-mm. But as a viewer, you kind of realize like the mom's not really focused on ET. Like there's the she, scene where she hasn't even yet, like just glazes right mm-hmm. over. Like there's the scene where her and Gertie come home, and Gertie's like trying to show her ET, mm-hmm. and she actually like hits him with the like fridge door. And as a normal human, I'd be like, I just hit something. I should probably figure out what that like, was. That could have been my child, <laughs> right? But she's so just uh, overwhelmed. She's overwhelmed. She's a single mom with three kids. Her husband left like you said for a younger woman like she's dealing with a lot of and again she's working like there's just a lot of again that layering mm-hmm. that in, that you have to infer and you pick up on that just by again yeah. the way he de- is a, is part of that screenwriting process yeah. so we eventually get to a point where uh elliot's trying to figure out why is et here how is he here? And um, it's not really explained, at least for me. I didn't get the explanation of like, because they go back to where the spaceship landed. Mm-hmm. And E.T. starts to learn how to communicate eventually, just like in small words, pretty much. And just being around. Yeah. So I, I was a little confused on how exactly he communicated to Elliot. Like, we sh- well... There's I like, shouldn't say that. They they, they do can. intentionally like fly the bike to that location. So that's probably what it was, right? I mean, again, it's one of those you have to infer, but being emotionally linked to a person like that, being empathic, like yeah. a lot of the times it's just kind of that that emotion, that feeling. And so if you have this feeling of like this is what we're going to do, we're curious, we want to investigate, like you're linked. Yeah. And so that might be just one of those things you have to infer. But I agree, like it wasn't particularly clear. Yeah. And there's a lot of things that aren't clear, but I now that I think about it more, I think like he went on a bike ride with E. T. and E. T. wanted to show him where his family left him. And that's probably like because obviously Elliot can't control the bike when they're flying. No. And at one point too, to back up a little before we get to that point. Um, when they're trying to talk to E.T. and be like, this is what these things are, this is what this is, they actually open up, like, a book with, like, the solar system mm-hmm. in it, and that's where you see, like, E.T. has this telekinetic power where he can, like, spin these orbs up in the air, and he's like, yeah, this was what my system looked like. Uh, I'm inferring on that. I don't know that for certain, but, like, it's very obvious. I'm not from here. I'm from there. Yeah. And so... We gotta, we gotta get those clues as we're setting up towards, we're gradually making our way to the climax of the movie. And the climax of the movie actually takes, like, a large portion of this script. Yeah. Um, the climax pretty much almost starts around Halloween. Yeah. And, um... They've got this plan yeah. to set up this communicator mm-hmm. for E.T. so he can... Um, during that scene I was just like I feel so bad for Gertie because she's a young girl Halloween is probably one of her favorite holidays and her brother's just kind of like okay Gertie here's the plan E.T.'s gonna be you 
she, he's going to pretend to be you. And we need you to just go off and not get any candy, not be able to participate. And Gertie's just out there like, man, how did I get the shit into this stick? Younger sibling, I guess. <laughs> right. <laughs> Which um, we get to the point where Ellie and Yeti are building the communication device to phone home. And we get to a point where Ellie can kind of see that E.T. is starting to get sick, mm-hmm. starting to dry out, not be as goopy. Um, and then... Moisturize. As E.T.'s getting sick, Elliot's also getting sick because so again, of their like, connection. Yep. Really putting that home as a plot device. Mm-hmm. And throughout the movie, we see this mysterious character. Dakota calls him the Jingly Key Man. Uh, Jingly Key Man, he's portrayed... To me, I took him as, like, he's the villain because he was there whenever E.T. first landed mm-hmm. and was like, what's going on? And all you see is this close-up of these keys jangling every time. Mm-hmm. And so then whenever E.T., not excuse me, Elliot goes back into the forest to find the alien. We didn't know it was E.T. quite yet. Um, and he's learning about with the Reese's Pieces. Mm-hmm. And there's Jangly Key Man later picking up the Reese's Pieces off the ground and eating them. And I was like, bro, you don't know where there's a bit. Yeah. But Jingly Key Man makes little flashes throughout this whole story, kind mm-hmm. of, again, giving you the indication that somebody also knows E.T. is here. Yes. Which you kind of see at the beginning of the movie. There, are, That's the reason why his family ditches him. They had to go. Yeah, because they didn't want to be seen. I'm assuming Spielberg wanted to kind of convey the message that they're aliens that... Because you get a inside look at their spaceship and there's a ton of different like flora from different planets. Mm-hmm. Which is what I'm assuming they're doing on Earth. They're just trying to find... Some kind of earth flora, I guess. They're just, it could be like a research thing. They're yeah. just going out and, you know, very similar to like us putting like discovery on Mars mm-hmm. and, you know, just a similar thing. But they they know, obviously, if they're going planet to planet, they know there is life outside of their species. Yep. And so they so, have to take precautions. Yeah, they have to take precautions. And they leave ET and you kind of get the first glimpse of Jingly Key Man. Yep. Um, who keeps coming back. And then we eventually get to the point where Elliot's like super concerned because E.T.'s floating down the river. And even when he's floating down the river, he's like dried out. Mm-hmm. So he brings him home and Elliot's starting to feel sick. And this is when the mom kind of realizes the actual situation going on. And then out of nowhere, astronauts just start busting through the windows, busting through the doors, breaking into the house. And while I'm watching the scene, one, I'm like, oh, it's going down. And two, I'm like, why are they dressed as astronauts? Like, you've, again, by visual scenes throughout the movie, like, you've been observing E.T. and Elliot interact with each other. Mm. And, but, you know, it just now came to me, too. Like, they've noticed Elliot getting sick, too. So that could have been a protective thing. But the, the... to go to your point, the spacesuits seemed very just overkill to me. Overkill. And also terrifying because that that's just a reflective, like mm-hmm. you can't see in there. No. Like it, that's terrifying. And when I watched it, I was like, okay, if they think there's some kind of like biochemistry thing going on that's making Elliot sick and they obviously don't want to get sick as well. 
They wear hazmat suits later on in the movie. Right, so they, I don't they, like... they close down the house, and they really, like, hazmat control this entire house. They have the long, like, tube that leads to the truck, mm-hmm. which comes into play later in the movie. So when I was watching, I was like, why are they dressed as astronauts? And the only thing I could think of is, like, it's so dumb to me, but maybe it, it's not like this way. But to me, it was like, alien sees us as astronaut, so we need to be astronaut. We come in peace. Right? It's like, it's one of those, like... But there's that particular shot, like, with them coming over the hill. With, mm-hmm. like, I can't tell if it's sunset, sunrise, I'm assuming sunset. And they're just all, like, geared up. Mm-hmm. And I'm like, what? Yeah. <laughs> What's happening? Like, for me, in my head, I was like... I guess they wanted to dress up as astronauts to, like, better convey, like, this is probably what they saw from us since we've space traveled and this is an alien. This is, like, what they think we look like, I guess. Perhaps. And one of the things I took was taking it to a level of fear. Fear of the unknown. Yeah. Like, this is is literally alien foreign yeah. we don't know what we're dealing with and, and maybe it was one of those just things. an extreme maybe, response yeah. to fear to me maybe they were actual astronauts and they were like you guys are the best equipped to handle a situation with an alien mm-hmm. because you've been in space yo neil armstrong yeah i'm gonna need you to come in could have been neil armstrong probably wasn't probably wasn't but how interesting would that be for the history of the film right so from there we get what Dakota calls the hospital scene, Ugh. Ugh. which is not really a hospital scene, but it's they pretty much make a trauma ward within Elliot's house. Terrifying. And they're working on why is E.T. drying out? It seems like he's dying. And Elliot is also emotionally connected to E.T., so he's like getting sicker and sicker. We don't want this child to die. We don't want this alien life form to die. So now we kind of realize, like... This is like a symbiotic relationship by this point. That, and the doctors aren't completely evil. They're trying, and again, it's just that... What fear of the unknown can do to somebody's mindset, their psyche even. And so they're taking these very clinical, extreme measures. Mm -hmm. And one of the things that really impacted me in this scene was... Jing Lee Keyman! He comes back! And Mm -hmm. he's one of these research people it's not really determined like what organization they're with or who mm-hmm. they you know they're just federal assuming federal agents of some organization yeah. and i even made like a big note of it he was the only one that like approached elliot as a human mm-hmm. and he just goes and says elliot feels his feelings and goes on to really sympathize with his connection to E.T. Like, at this point, Elliot loves E.T. Yeah. Like, it's a crazy bond. And he's talking about referencing a time when he was younger and thought he had seen an alien. And whenever this came down, he starts investigating it again. One of the more profound things and wrote it down, like, word for word, is telling Elliot, I'm glad you found him first. And you did the best that you could do. Mm -hmm. That's so impactful for any person to hear right because i mean and this is this is like presumably like an 11 year old i keep referring 11 i don't know if his age is ever like established but like preteen, yeah young boy who's been who's just experienced so much loss yes and he's made this 
empathic connection with this alien. Mm -hmm. And all of a sudden, he's literally being probed. He has needles in him. He's screaming. You're killing him. It was just, it's very, just a very emotionally reactive scene. Yeah. And I'm pretty sure that scene made me afraid of hospitals. Quote, unquote, hospital. Probably made a lot of kids and adults afraid of hospitals, Because it just, it just shows, like, a, sometimes you have to be professional with being overly clinical. Like, you take away the humanity. Yeah, you do. And, like, that's a, that's a small child. And, I mean, by the end of it, E.T. quotation dies. And the first thing they do is they just pack him up like he's... Yep. They just pack him up he like he's... He unzips him out of a body bag. Yeah. What... This has got trauma written all yeah. over it. Um, but going back to what you're saying with Jingle Key Man, yeah, um, it's really impactful to have a scene like that where an adult, an adult male, an adult male is really communicating to this youth like, as a youth, you did your best, mm-hmm. you did better than what most of us probably could have, mm-hmm. and hearing that from an adult at a young age is very affirming. It's affirming, but also rare. Very rare, especially for that time frame. Yeah, you don't hear adults have words of affirmation towards young kids like that. Mm -hmm. It's very much so like, well, here's what I would have done, or you did this wrong, or why didn't you listen to me? We could have handled this. He straight up comes to him and says, you did what you could, and I'm proud of you. Mm -hmm. Which, I mean, this man doesn't even know Elliot, has no idea who this kid is, and just is watching him from afar. And that's probably, just from context clues, more, he got more from this man he doesn't know than he probably got from his father. Yeah, and at at some point, like, because Jingly Key Man follows them all the way to the end of the movie, but we'll get there in a minute. So, E.T. quotation dies. Mm -hmm. He gets packed up. Elliot's starting to feel better. And then as um, he's kind of being lured out of the room, Elliot notices that the dead flower that's been weeping and drooping throughout the entire hospital scene to kind of like show where E.T.'s life is at at that moment. Mm -hmm. It's like, okay, the flower is drooping. His life is waning. So he sees this flower that is pretty much dead. Mm -hmm. All of a sudden start perking up and coming back to life oh dang and elliot immediately is like et's alive but i'm not gonna like emote i'm not gonna show any kind of signs that i know this i need to tell my brother as soon as possible and we need to create a plan mm-hmm. he starts like fake crying mm-hmm. and jingly key man's like consoling him out of the room and he's like ah, ha, ha, look ah, ha, ha, look and i'm like yeah. hijinks is about to happen. Right. And we get to a point where they make the plan. Elliot confirms with E.T. like his family's coming back for him. We need to get him back to where his family last saw him. Mm-hmm. That way he can go home. And it's not my favorite scene, but it is my second favorite scene just because it's so iconic. It's so fun. Like this is where Spielberg's like, okay, we're going to have, just a ton of fun. <laughs> and everybody in the neighborhood is surrounding this house at this point, right? Like we got 
law enforcement. We've got the bullhorns. Everything's like very, like the scene yeah. is being set. And neighbors are like trying to figure out what's going on. So, of course, the older brother's friends are there. And I loved the fact, I, I wrote this down, I loved the fact that one of the kids is dressed almost to a T how, like, people see Steven Spielberg. I think he just wanted to, like, spiritually put himself in the movie because he does that every now and then. Yeah. So, like, this was his chance to be like, yeah, we're going to we're gonna dress him up like me. So um, we get to a point where they're loading E.T. up into the truck because they think he's dead, and they kind of get a hold of some hazmat suits to look like adults. Um, and they steal the van and the giant tube is dragging these poor guys across the city Just because there's everywhere. like, there's a, like, I don't know how old he is. He's obviously not old enough to Presum- drive. Presumably like no older than 16. Yeah. Like maybe like 14, 15, 16, somewhere out there. Doesn't know how to drive. And this poor kid is driving this van, dragging these poor people <laughs> as they're like trying to unloosen the tube so that they can stop dragging these people. And they're, it's a huge police chase, and then they finally get on their bikes, and we get to the scene where they've barricaded the street, and they're like, we're caught, this is over, everything's ending, and Elliot knows uh, E.T. Uh. can fly, but the boys have no idea. So all of a sudden, five bikes just go straight into the air. And the only thing I can imagine being one, it's maybe the brother can kind of understand what's going on, but these three other friends who are just kind of like thrown into the situation are like, oh my God. Yeah, this is like, <laughs> this is like D&D in real life. Yeah. Like all of a sudden. They're like, this is the mission. This is our quest. And then all of a sudden the quest, like it's, it's time to roll and see if we can make it. And y'all rolled a nat 20 on levitation. Mm-hmm. Congrats. And so they're flying and they finally land and get to where E.T. can meet up with his family. And the mom and Gertie go there and Jingle Key Man finds it too. And they all meet at the same place. And they're witnessing this exchange between Elliot and E.T. And I wrote it down like verbatim because it's, it's a really touching scene. Like, it's really one of those scenes that, like, kind of tugs at you. Because mm-hmm. E.T.'s like, come. He says, come to Elliot. He wants him to go with him. They're emotionally connected. He wants him to come with him. And he, and Elliot just says to him, stay. And then E.T. says, ouch, and touches his heart. And Elliot also says, ouch, and touches his heart. And through four words, you get a whole conversation. Yep, yep. Four words, an entire conversation of, I want you to come with me. I can't. This is my home, but I'm glad you found your people. This hurts. I want you to come with me, but I understand. Mm-hmm. This hurts really badly, but you need to go and I need to stay. Just, four words. And that's the thing. Like, sometimes verbal, you know, being able to just say the words... That's all well and good, but to have that level of emotional communication, that nonverbal mm-hmm. of like again, just that layering, storytelling, inferring, you get it. Mm-hmm. You get it. And it ends off with what, like everybody remembers two lines from the movie. 
ET phone home and mm-hmm. I'll be right here as he touches Elliot on the heart. And those are the two lines that everybody remembers because they're one is ET phone home. It's just a funny line that everybody remembers. But like I'll be right here is like a really touching send off. And like it's the last line of the movie mm-hmm. as far as I know. And it leaves off on a like really touching note. Yep. They go off into the sky. There's this just beautiful symbolism of like rainbow behind us. And like Jang Lee Key guy, mom, the family sees him off. And, you know, he, it just, yep. Yeah. <laughs> I'm at, just like, just thinking about it, I'm like lost for words. Cause you feel that happiness. We feel that sorrow, but it's, it's a happy ending. Yes. Like Elliot didn't die. We got to have this amazing experience with mm-hmm. this otherworldly thing. And he got to go home. He got he to he got to go and experience this new culture, these new people, and get to go back home with his people. And it's, and every, it's just a good time. We yeah, love a happy yeah, thing. Yeah, and everything worked out great. And you don't get that very often in movies. You don't get a complete story. And even, like, on that note, like, we do get a happy ending. We don't know the aftermath, though. Like, no. we're well, not sure what happened with feds or police by the yeah. end of it but it, it's not meant for you to think about that stuff no. me just being me i'm like somebody's going to jail <laughs> yeah. yeah um but you, you don't get a whole lot of movies where it's a complete story right very often anymore it's it's very like okay this is an excerpt of like when this alien was on this planet at this time. And that's all you're getting. Mm-hmm. Like you see when E.T. shows up, you see when E.T. leaves. That's it. That's on. That's it. That's all you're getting. And you don't get that very often. Um, so now that we've talked about the entire movie, I want to go back and talk about um, maybe a scene that you really enjoyed. And mm-hmm. I want to talk about a couple scenes that like, not impactful scenes, but scenes that just made me laugh because Spielberg likes to throw in stuff that's just like, you can tell he's a funny guy. Yeah. And he likes to, not all of his movies are comedies, obviously, but he likes to throw in something that's just like, <laughs> that's that's funny. Yeah. I enjoyed that. Like this, this was, again, like, it's branded as science fiction. And one of the things to talk about for me, I think, is like, remembering when I first saw it, which is is fuzzy, I'm like seven, eight years old, to seeing it now as an adult, um, like one of the takeaways for me was I got suspense. Like that opening sequence is very eerie. Mm -hmm. It's very like, it's very foreign. Like, and it's, it's good storytelling, but as a seven, eight year old, I was like, I don't like this. It's dark. There's (laughs) things running in the dark. I don't know what's happening. And so like, I remember like getting suspense mixed up for scary. Yeah. And like, that was like something like now as an adult, I was like, Oh, okay. I got it. Like, not that like, I thought it was scary as a kid, but there were definitely like scenes like that. I saw when I was younger that impacted me, like the opening sequence um, E.T. going around the house like, haha, that's funny. And then, the, like, again, I keep going back to, like, one thing that popped up for me was, again, the the hospital ward, quote, yeah. unquote, he was in. And I was like, this, this, this was repressed. Yeah. <laughs> I repressed this. I'm, like, I'm not fearful of hospitals, but hospitals make me anxious. 
you know, there's sick people there. You go to a hospital to get better, but but you're sick. Yeah. And being hooked up to all these foreign wires and you don't know these people and what's going on, I was like, oh, dang. Okay, well, that made that connection. I'll deal with that later. Yeah, yeah no, I agree with that. Um, but that those those were some of the ones that were like, no, like noteworthy for me because I was able to make those connections and that callback to me being as a kid and, you know, you didn't have that experience. No. And so, like, just to add a little flavor for that. Well, a lot of people forget that, like, when we watch movies, we're looking to somehow insert ourselves into the movie, right. connect to it in some way. Um, because when we watch movies, we want it as a, like, mental vacation, as oh, an yeah. escape. Yeah. But we're always trying to, like, figure out how to connect ourselves into that situation. Whether we realize it or not sometimes. Because yeah. you're... It's, it's a visual experience, and when you are watching something, you're going to have some kind of emotional response to it. Right, and, and on that note, too, like just as important as visuals is sound as well. Mm-hmm. The soundtrack for this movie. Excellent. Excellent. All the way through the, the orchestral, just everything, like from the suspense scenes to when this like triumphant music that's blaring when they're going through the air and the just... You know, I, sound design is also just so important, and they did a wonderful job with that. Absolutely. Do you know who did the music? Who did the music? John Williams. Aha! So on that note, too, when we were talking about this earlier on John Williams, what, what else did John Williams work on? John Williams has worked on so many things. This man is so credited for so much stuff. It's not even funny. Um, he's had over 52 Oscar nominations. Yeah. But he's only won five times, which is kind of wild. He's got to, like, what is it, 10%? I don't know math. Um, but another thing, too, was did he not also work on Star Wars? Yeah, he did. So, and it was another funny thing, because if you hadn't mentioned it to me, because you watched this before I did, and looked over some, of like, some just brief notes. He didn't spoil it for me. Thanks for that. <laughs> um, one, of the, one of the notes was all the Star Wars references. Mm-hmm. And that went over my head. And then I, again, went back and watched this, and he's like, got all these action figures. Like, this is, um, like, Lando. This is, like, he's going through some of these Star Wars characters. Mm-hmm. And then there's also John Williams, who was mm-hmm. the, the music for Star So, like, I didn't know that George Lucas and Steven Spielberg were that tight. Oh, they're super tight. Didn't know because... that. And this is, again, where, like, your movie buff stuff comes into play, because, yeah. like, I... Like, for all intents and purposes for this podcast, like, you're the movie buff, and I'm here for a good time. Yeah. Thanks for having me <laughs> around for that. Um, so a lot of my, my reactions come from just, like, as a first-time viewer, and mm. you know, like, you go into it, and you want to know the whys and how this is connected, and that's super cool, and it brings it all together. Yeah. And so you informing me of this, like, also gave me, like, a different lens to enjoy this movie. Yeah, because if you know movies, you know George Lucas and Steven Spielberg are, like, Hollywood besties. I did not. <laughs> because, I mean, so Lucas has his two famous, um, I'm drawing a blank here, but franchises. He yeah, has his two go. famous franchises. Star Wars and Indiana Jones. I love Indiana and Jones. Spielberg directed all those Indiana Jones movies yep. except the most knew, recent one. I knew there was a connection there just based on like the action sequences alone. Like mm-hmm. you can... 
you can kind of see I'm not again the movie buff, but I was like, oh yeah, yeah. And so I, again, I, that was something that came out of my brain. Yeah, but you you do not see like you will see references to things where like they'll have an like for example a lot of movies spoof things like Spaceballs is a spoof of Star mm-hmm. Wars. Mm-hmm. You cannot use verbatim exact things because yep. there's copyright and stuff. Yep. And trademarks and so forth and so on and certain production companies own certain things. But for the longest time, George Lucas owned everything LucasArts. Now he produced through Fox and everything like that. That's mm-hmm. his production. But he owned the rights to Star Wars and Indiana Jones. That's why when he sold it to Disney, Disney. he sold it to Disney. Yep. It wasn't like Fox sold it to Disney. Like he it was it. his intellectual property. Yes. So to be able to use his intellectual property in a movie, like you see Yoda and it's it's like you look at it, it's not it's like, an offshoot Yoda. Like that's Yoda. Yeah, it's not like a B tier Yoda. It's like you Yoda. see like a Pez dispenser mm-hmm. with like, and I might have Boba Fett. I think it's Boba Fett. It's probably Boba Fett. Yeah. Boba Fett. Like his, like his head is on the Pez dispenser, and I'm just like, wow. Like yeah. I never like didn't catch yeah, that. Yeah, because you don't get that in movies. You no. get references, and you're like, oh, okay, that's like a we know what that's supposed to be, but we because because it, be. it looks different enough that yes. you can use it. And so that that was one of the like really like like a history thing to it mm-hmm. um, is just them being that tight, and I thought that was really another cool. interesting thing is uh, I want to get to a scene I enjoyed, just like a real quick scene. But before I get there, since we're on the Spielberg and Lucas thing, a producer on ET. You probably don't know her name. No. But she's a very important person, at least right now, when it comes to Disney and Star Wars. A producer on E.T. and probably how she got the job and created that connection with George Lucas and Steven Spielberg is Kathleen Kennedy. And you, like, that was a note you had, and I was like, okay, good for Kathleen. I I have no point of reference, so that's why I'm like, tell me more. So she's pretty much, um, I'm trying to, like, draw connections here you know i'm drawing a blank on his name and everybody's gonna just be like how could you draw a blank on this man there are people screaming right now (laughs) Uh, but the marvel guy um kevin feige she's the kevin feige for the star wars universe right now so when george lucas sold star wars to disney he did it with the mindset of okay kathleen kennedy's good be in charge of this and we have a good connection so i don't think she's gonna screw this up so there's still like george lucas is still in the pocket no 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 okay it's it's just full trust that's he that's what he assumed yeah like he was like okay me and kathleen are good she she'll treat my characters right right but in the recent years especially after the sequel trilogy came out just Everybody hating on the recent Star Wars sequels, like everybody. I didn't think they were that bad. Y'all can scream at me later. I mean, they're fan. Like, I don't think, um, I don't think uh, Force Awakens is that bad. But going back to back to going back to that, uh, that's why there was a lot of turmoil between Kathleen Kennedy and George Lucas. So now, now I'm understanding like some of the undertones here. Yeah, because. 
you kind of like look back at like who was involved with certain movies and how those relationships were created. Mm-hmm. Like you'd be like, so how did this Kathleen Kennedy woman get involved with Lucasfilm? And that's, this is kind of like, oh, this is the history of like, she was involved with all these things with Stephen and George. And that's how like the trust was gained and so forth and so on. Mm-hmm. But the one thing I wanted to talk about that just had me cracking up because it's, it's almost classic. Steven just being like, I see funny here, so I'm going to do funny. It's when Ellie and E.T. are first doing their first flight. Mm-hmm. And Elliot verbally says, don't crash, please. And it immediately goes to them crashing onto yeah. the ground. Like, it's just a jump cut to them crashing. And I'm like, that's that's comedy. That's good. I love it just that. Slap, just slapstick mm-hmm. almost. Because you don't get that very often in movies like that like you would get that in a movie like dodgeball or like talladega nights where it's like oh i hope this doesn't happen and it cuts to that thing happening mm-hmm. you don't but expect you have, it you have the setup yeah you don't and this, this was just like a genuine like please don't crash and then <laughs> oh that's what we're doing today yeah. okay so um, yeah that was that was a, that was also a very like i have it just like crash lol in my yeah. notes <laughs> yeah because you just don't expect it Um, so as we're kind of closing towards the end of the podcast, I wanted to discuss something that's been in recent news for ET. Cause I mean, this is an old movie. It's full. It just celebrated its 40th anniversary. 1982. So we're, we're at 41 now. Yeah. It just celebrated its 40th anniversary pretty recently. And it got brought up. I think Drew Barrymore has like a late night show. Or she does. Is it a late night show or like a daytime? I think it's daytime, but she, regardless of time frame, she Drew, has a show. She got a show. And she was recently like asked questions of like, was there ever talks for ET two an ET sequel? And I got this uh, article pulled up with quotes from her. Um, Drew spoke about the possibility of an E.T. sequel after it emerged. There were plans for a follow-up that was co-written by Steven Spielberg and was more of a horror flick. Um, which, yeah, Tiny would, Dakota would have not done well yeah. with that. Um, which, when you look at it, you're like, duh. Universal Pictures in the 80s yeah. made almost a billion dollars on E.T. Yeah. Which, wild. Yeah. Like, only, like, you you talking about the billion range in that time, it's Titanic, and that's about it. Right. So, like, E.T.'s huge, and of course, like, when you have such an iconic movie that makes so much money. Like, you want to try to make something else. You want to make something else. You want to continue that revenue. And Spielberg apparently had written E.T. 2 the same year as the original's release. So he had been working on it, because he probably didn't think it was going to be, like, it. Like, he did not think this was going to be a, like, a movie. You know, like, one of those movies that sticks with people for their life. He was probably like, oh, it's a fun alien movie. Whatever. This is one of the, like, gosh, like, high, just. It's one of the most high-profile movies. Like, high-profile movies, period. Like, you think Spielberg, you think E.T. Yeah, you think Jaws, Jurassic Park, E.T. Yep. And, of course, Jurassic Park has. Yep, all the way down. Jaws um, had, and that's oh, probably yeah. where it came from. Like, Jaws got ran into the ground. Jurassic Park got ran into the ground. He didn't really want to see E.T. get ran into the ground, probably. Right, and E.T. as a standalone, personal opinion, good call. Yeah, good call. agreed. 
But apparently ET2 was was going to be called ET2 Nocturnal Fears. And the plot sees the Taylor children, who discovered ET in the original, missing their alien friend only for them to become overjoyed by a UFO. Because obviously they're like, oh, UFO, it must be ET coming back and checking on us. But it turns out this breed of alien are evil man eaters with giant red eyes and fangs. No. (laughs) So, like, nah, I'm good. Like alien, like actual alien. Can you imagine being an empath with a homicidal terror? (laughs) No. And, uh, so what happens is the evil aliens kidnap. And start torturing the Taylor kids. And Elliot lets out a wail so powerful. Like he screams to a point that it's so powerful. That E.T. hears it in space. The power of love. And comes to his rescue. (laughs) Okay, a bit of a stretch. But, you know, that empathic connection that could be a callback. But, um, Again, glad they uh, didn't move forward with that. Glad they didn't go forward with that. Like this is a... Beautiful standalone. Because that's... A, to have something... That's like, exaggerated. Quite. Well, it's not exa- It's just like a complete, like... 180. Well, and I mean, sometimes it works. You have movies like Alien and Aliens, where Alien is much a horror film, and Aliens is more of an action mm-hmm, film. Mm-hmm. But to go from, like, a family-friendly, like, adventure... To, to homicidal terror. Yes. The, it's too much, no. in my opinion. But Spielberg apparently was quoted saying he would do nothing. He, he wouldn't do it because it would do nothing but rob the original of its virginity. Wow. Yeah. Okay. Direct quote from him. How Which I'm like. Oh, okay then. Agreed. Okay. Yeah. So. Um, if something's good. You don't touch it. Don't, don't do it. Yeah. Don't do it. So. My first time watching it. I enjoyed it. Obviously enjoyed it a lot. It's not my favorite movie, but I I can see why it's a lot of people's favorite movie. It's a it's a classic. Yeah, it's a classic and indicative of that time because the eighties was where a lot of popular franchise French fries franchises <laughs> were coming out. Yeah, so and I feel like if I watched it in theaters, it's still relevant. Yeah, if I was one of the original group that watched it in theaters. It would mean so much more to me because, like, in, in that mm-hmm. time and era, like, the effects. Yep. I mean, they're all practical for the most part. Mm-hmm. It's wild. And you don't get that very often, which I do enjoy the practical effects. So, like, at one point, like, whenever the ship is landing, like, you can tell there's a green screen. Mm-hmm. But, like, in the theater, it's that suspense, like, not suspense, that suspension of belief. Mm-hmm. And so you're like, whoa, like, it's right there. How did they do that? Yep. So, yeah. Alright, so, your thoughts on E.T.? Um, it's a movie for everybody. Mm-hmm. I feel like just because of its, again, it's a classic. Like, this is something that I feel like most people can be introduced to at fairly young ages. Um, I would recommend 10 and up just from personal experience <laughs> so you can kind of get what's going on. Um, I was definitely a Gertie when I watched this <laughs> as a kid. Mm-hmm. Um, but if it's something that you haven't watched it all Mm -hmm. watch it if it's something that you watched when you were young like me go back and watch it it's still the story just holds up over time yeah and it's there's still a lot of meaning and it's just it's it's a good it's a good movie so this week 
I had a movie I wanted to watch. It was a movie that's been sitting on my bookcase for years, and I just never got to it. But next week, Dakota mm-hmm. has a movie for us to watch. And what is that movie, Dakota? It's Strange World. So we're watching Strange World. It's that new Disney movie. It's right? newer, yes. And I feel like it's it's animated. I'm not sure if it went through Pixar or not. I didn't see their name attached no, I don't to think it. Pixar was involved. Um, but it was um, it was something that was recommended to me by a coworker, and because I'm a therapist, I deal with a lot of family dynamics, especially with kids. And was just talking about the importance of movies and how we were getting ready to do this podcast. And she excitedly was like, watch Strange World. And like, gave me like a brief synopsis and I'll leave y'all dangling with this. It's basically just journey to the center of the earth, but with a twist. It's like Encanto. Encanto. Yep. (laughs) Mixed with like journey to the center of the earth. So there's some family stuff there. But also, like, this, just this world building. And, and I, I just feel like this is a, is a movie that not a lot of people know about. And I want them to know yeah. about it. Because I remember it coming out in theaters and not many people talking about it. I don't remember it coming out in theaters. That's yeah, the no, thing. I don't remember it coming out in theaters and not very many people talk about it. It's a good movie. So Hopefully I can convince you. <laughs> hopefully. Um, so, next week, next Monday, we will be talking about Strange World from... Disney, and we look forward to having you sit and watch a movie with us. All right. Until next time, I'm Dakota. And I'm Matt.